Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. I'd like to invite John Hamstra and John Leitzel up. Uh, they're going to go ahead and bring the word to us. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, John. This is John and John from the front. Um, if you have any questions, you can ask John. And he'll be glad to answer them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're continuing on in our series. This is the last of our series before we start the, the story of just God's purposes for the church and um, some of the things that are particular for us as a church at Mercy Hill. So if you want to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. It'll be up on the screen, but there's also some Bibles uh, in front of you. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. Look at Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verse 13. Now, for this section of Scripture, um, I want to just give you a bit of a context so we have an understanding of what, what's going on in the life of Jesus and his disciples at the time. Jesus, in this, in this section of Scripture, is in a very public uh, time in his ministry. And if you read back in chapter 15, uh, we see that Jesus Christ was, was healing people. And so therefore, if you can imagine in a, in a third world context without hospitals, adequate health care um, that you would be able to get to, if someone was, was sick, you didn't have a whole lot of hope. <laughs> but here, Jesus Christ is healing people. And so they said the crowds would, would come to Jesus Christ, bring the, the blind, the lame, the sick, and anyone with a disease or ailment would come to Jesus Christ and he would heal them. So here Jesus is in chapter 15. He's, he's healing all these people. Now, as all these people are together, lo and behold, they run out of food. So they are together, and they say in the scripture, 4,000 men, and that number does not include women and children. So somewhere between the numbers of maybe 10 to 20,000 people are gathered together, pushing in to hear Jesus Christ and to see him heal and to heal the sick, and they get hungry, and Jesus provides food, for miraculously provides food for all the people there. Now, it's quite a miracle to see that happen. And then shortly after that, continuing on in chapter 15, Jesus gets into a confrontation with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. So Jesus is standing his ground against the Pharisees who had bent and twisted God's word, and here Jesus is standing firm for what what God has to say, which then brings us into Matthew chapter 16. And so everybody is talking about this miracle worker who can provide food for tens of thousands of people, who can heal all this, who can heal every sick person that was brought to him, who can stand up against the religious institution of the day that was, was uh, oppressing the people. And so there is a discussion amongst the people, if you can imagine, who this Jesus is. Who is this guy who's healing and providing food and, 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 and battling with religious leaders? Who is this guy who is, who's doing things that we've never seen happen before? No one has ever been like this before. And right before our very eyes, people are being healed. And so if you can imagine the discussion amongst the people, people are talking. People are asking questions. People are discussing together as they get together for meals and, and walk along the road. What is going on with this guy, Jesus? Who is this guy? Now that brings us into Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read through these 13 through 18, and then we're going to pray together. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18 reads this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? So he understands that people are asking about him. Now, before the age of the internet, this would be similar to Jesus Googling himself, right? However, that wasn't the point of why he's asking. He wants to drive home a point. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? This is the question that he was getting at. And he understood that the people that were were around Jesus and, and witnessing his miracles and receiving the provision of food, they understood that this was, this was just a normal guy. 
there is something supernatural about what Jesus Christ is doing. And so they rightly understood, hey, this guy is a prophet. And Jesus was a prophet. But he was much more than that. Amen. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Mm-hmm. Jesus, we want to thank you this morning yes, we do. for the gift of your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are son of the living God. Amen. That you are still the son of the living God. That, yes, God, you are. you are still alive and active and revealing doing work in our midst today. Yes, Lord. Just like you were then. And Lord, we pray today as as we discuss and look into your scripture together that there would be a revelation of Jesus Christ, that we would see your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Yes, Jesus. Amen. 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 Now, we're going to look at three different aspects together of this passage of scripture. And the first one is this, is, is the person of Jesus Christ. And this is who God is revealing. As we dig through these few points in the scripture, we're going to see that although Peter has the right answer, it is God who's the one who's doing the work through and through. So the first thing we're going to look at is is who Christ is, and that is who God is revealing. Secondly, we're going to look at the church, because the church is what God is building. Then third, we're going to look at the commission, and this is what God is initiating. And so in this passage of scripture, it really brings together nicely all the things that we've been talking about this entire summer. Because as we looked at this summer, we looked at the commission of God upon his people, upon us as his church, and what he's calling us to do and to be. And as we do that, it's it's our intention to kind of bring you into our conversation. Yes. Uh, Because, you know, a lot of times on Sunday morning, what you're hearing getting is, you know, almost a presented version of a lot of conversation and study and effort that's gone in in the weeks that lead up to that Sunday. And so John and I have been talking together about the whole series through the summer. Larry helped architect that series. And as we've done that, as we're we're digesting, what are some of the bottom line take-homes for us here at Mercy Hill? We thought, well, let's have the conversation together. We want to bring you into some of how we talk and think about what the scripture is saying as we work through it together. That's right. That's good. So first we're going to look at Christ Jesus himself, and this is who God is revealing. Now, this confession that Peter gives of Jesus Christ being the son of the living God, the the Christ or the Messiah or the Savior, it moves this idea of who Jesus Christ is it brings it out of a just in the idea realm or just some theological study. God is after in us a revelation of Jesus Christ that, that moves us out of just a confession of who Jesus is. Because God isn't, isn't satisfied in us for, for us just to know some things about who he is. That's great that we know some things about Jesus Christ, but God's moving us beyond theological confession into real life. There is a Savior because we need saving. There's a Savior because we need saving. And Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, because we need a Savior. And there was no other way for us to be made right with God apart from Jesus Christ. And that's why we sing about this idea of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why we sing about it every single week, week in and week out, Song after song, message after message, we declare and proclaim this message of the gospel because we need a Savior, and the world around us as well needs a Savior. That's why this is so fundamental to who we are as a church, is this idea of Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the Son of the living God. So so if you emphasize that over and over, every week in all of those ways... Do you ever start getting tired of the gospel? Yeah, that, that's a good question because so often we think, well, if we learn something simple like 2 plus 2 equals 4, 
if we repeated that every single week and we talked about it every single week and we sang songs about it every single week, it would get pretty boring pretty quick. Okay, we're, we're, we're teaching the kids at home. Actually, Michelle's teaching the kids at home uh, simple, basic math. And after a while, you get bored of talking just two plus two and what's two plus three. And it, it gets boring after a while. However, with this gospel message... It is the power of God for our salvation. It is the very thing when, when the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, he says, look, I'm going to pass on to you that of which is of first importance. Of all the things in the world that you could pass on to a new church, you think, man, there's so much you need to know as a new church. There's so much that you have to understand as a new church. What would that foundational brick be? He says this, I passed on to you this gospel. That Jesus Christ was first, he, died, he was born, he lived, he died, and he rose again to new life. As it was written in the scriptures, yeah. this gospel is fundamental to who we are as God's people. Yeah. And it's the one thing that we keep coming back to because not only do we, are we quick to forget, because so often I think, well, this gift of God, this, this gift of mercy, this gift of life that comes from God... Is something that I have to earn or something I have to do to get, we so quickly default back to that kind of thinking. And God, time and time again, keeps helping us to remember that this is a free gift. Yes, amen. This is a gift of grace. We sing that song. It's grace. It's the gift of grace that God's given us. So, John, help us understand that as we move from, as we move from God revealing this, what are, how are some of the ways that we can see this in the response from our lives. Yeah, who Jesus is, is the very thing that gives shape to and defines who we are, how we live, and all the kinds of things that we do. In a sense, it's, it's the compass heading that continues to direct our lives, or the plumb line that makes sure that the wall's going up straight and the kinds of things we're building, that everything's coming together the way it should. And Bill, you'll be glad to know that your bricks are still in place in Jose Cepaz in Argentina. It's looking good. They're using it as... Uh, Bill was laying bricks for us in Argentina those number of years ago. One of the reasons those bricks are still standing was he'd hold a line up and make sure that the wall was going up straight. Because if your wall is tipping, it's going to fall down. And who Jesus is is the thing that we keep coming back to, to keep checking and measuring what we're building and how we're doing things in our lives. So when Jesus asks his disciples this question, who do all the people say that I am? He's really trying to move them closer to his second question, which is, what about you? Who do you say that I am? You know, he's challenging, he's probing. He's saying, okay, you've been with me. You've been walking with me. You've been listening to all my teaching for this time. You've left things, you're following me, but who am I to you? Who do you really think that I am? And, you know, the answers that people were giving, right? What were some of the answers that the people were saying, according to the disciples? Some said he was John the Baptist. All right, who else? Elijah, somebody else? Right? It, it's like the, the top, you know, it's not a top 10 list, but it's the hit list of most famous prophets, Right, because he's got to be big if he's doing all of these things. So who are the big names that we remember from Sunday school? I mean, they're, they're pulling him out. He's got to be John the Baptist because he was the, the latest and most recent. Well, no, maybe he's Jeremiah and so on. And what was happening was this. Everybody was trying to squeeze Jesus into their preconceptions of who God was and how God worked and how he would fit into their own lives. But Jesus was in the business of exploding all those preconceptions. And when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, all of his own status quo has just gotten blown away. Because when he says that about Jesus, he ends up saying a huge thing about how his life is now going to have to go forward. And, you know, it's quite possible that there's plenty of us here in the room who would say, yeah, I know Jesus is the Son of God. You know, I grew up thinking that. I mean, me personally, you might also. But me personally, I grew up thinking that. I grew up in a church. I was taught, who's Jesus? Oh, he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. But it didn't have the personal relevance for me that 
Peter is talking about here. When Jesus says, this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. This isn't something you learned from man. It's something God showed you. He's talking about a life-changing revelation. He's talking about something that changes who we are and shapes then how we live. I think that's the challenge of the question. When we say, yes, Jesus is the Christ, he's the son of God. Are we really talking about something that's such a real revelation that it's changing the shape of how I'm building my life? Is my life really being built on this thing God's shown? Or is it something that just kind of, yeah, it's one other idea among a bunch of other ideas. Yeah. And really, John, that, that, that as we were talking this week, it brings me back to an example that John and I both had similar experience of. And that is this uh, one night we were sitting in our, in our home and there was terrible storms outside. And I don't know if you remember this a few years ago when they had those tornadoes in Griffith, right? And as we're sitting in our home one night, power goes out and all of a sudden we hear the tornado sirens going off. And what do you do when the tornado sirens go off, right? You stay in your bed and just pretend like you didn't hear it. No, you don't do that. It's a bad idea. So we hear the tornado sirens going off and at that moment you've got a decision to make. Am I going to heed the, the sirens and do something about it? Or am I going to roll over and go back to bed because I don't want to be inconvenienced by the reality of what's going on outside the walls of my home? And so we had to get the kids. We had to wake them up, bring them in the basement, just you know, sit down there. We didn't know how long to stay. But the reality of it was that because we believe the siren, right, it caused us to take action in our lives with the way in which we lived our lives. In the same way that Jesus Christ in his confession about who Jesus Christ is, is that we, there's no neutral parties after that confession. If Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, if he is the Messiah, if he is the Savior, then it causes us to take stock of our own lives and say, am I ordering my life according to this true confession? If Jesus Christ is this way, it doesn't only cause me to order my life personally, but as a family and as a church. And so the question for us is this. Are we ordering our lives according to this confession that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Is, is your life, is my life, living according to this confession? It's easy to sit in Sunday school. It's easy to sit on a Sunday morning and sing some songs, say a few prayers, listen to, listen to a sermon without falling asleep, and sit through all these things and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, and walk out those back doors, and it affects nothing in our lives. It's easy. We've, I've done that. We've all done that numerous times. But for us, this confession, like that tornado siren, causes us to realize Am I living my life according to the reality of who Jesus Christ is? It's a good wake-up call for us. Like that siren, it's a wake-up call, right? We've got to do something now that we've heard about it. Of course, it begs the question then, what's it look like for me to do that? Mm -hmm. If I hear a tornado siren, I head for the basement. We had that same situation just a couple months ago, but we don't have a basement. We have a crawl space. And the kids were asleep, and we hadn't lost power, and it tested okay, do we really believe the siren? Because we, we couldn't really see a storm at that point. You know, to pull the kids out, literally lower them into the crawl space and so on. You know, because everything still seemed good. And, but we knew that's the action you take if you believe the siren. And, but when we say, how do, okay, so we have to order our lives according to this reality that Jesus really is Lord. But it begs the question, what's that supposed to look like for us? And, and here, there, there's a fact where the, the metaphor breaks down, all right? Uh, you know, every metaphor is going to break down at some point, right? God is like a potato. Okay, that one broke down really quick because he's, he's not really like a potato much at all. But, you know, this idea of diving into the crawl space is not what living for Jesus really right. is supposed That's to right. look like in our lives. Right. But Jesus responds so immediately to what Peter has to say, and he does so in a way that shows us at least one of the important pieces of what it's supposed to look like to really receive this revelation of who he is, right? Because Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus says, that's right, good answer. In fact, you didn't get that answer from Wikipedia. You didn't Google that. You didn't study that at school. It's your Father in heaven who revealed that to you. Now, I tell you this. You are, Peter, you're a rock. And on this rock, I'm going to do something. What's that? What's he doing? Building his what? What's that word? Church? That's the first time that word shows up in the Gospels. Does that surprise you? Jesus hasn't been talking about church until now. But now, as soon as he's affirming the revelation of who he is, he's immediately saying, this is a community issue, not just an individual issue. The word there that we translate as church, it means in a gathering. It's an assembly. It's the people who come together. What people? The people who've received this revelation. The people who are acknowledging and saying, yes, Jesus really is the Christ. Form a people of God. That's what Joanna read to us from Ephesians 3, 9, and 10. That now, through what? Through the church, God would reveal his magnificent wisdom to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm and where? Here on earth. So don't miss this connection. Jesus is joining something together that we're not supposed to separate. And it's the realization of who he is and a way of living it out together. Yeah, with that person sitting next to you. Turn around, take a peek at who's behind you. Yeah, him too. <laughs> there is a connection here. We are not supposed to separate them. That's why here at Mercy Hill, we've been saying, worship Christ and live in community. And we're doing that together on a mission. This community is the very one that's in the midst of some, some kind of opposition and conflict because Jesus says, and even the gates of hell will not triumph over it. Which is victorious, the church or hell? The church. The people of God, not the powers of darkness. And Jesus combines these three things in a way that we don't want to see separated here. Who Jesus is, his people being together on a mission. Do we see that? That Christ, his community, and this commission are very integrately joined together. So the Christ is who God's revealing. He says, this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven And on this rock, I will what? And the gates of hell will will fail. Amen? Because the church will succeed. There's a lot being thrown around today as people look at the news. Uh, You know, there's conflict in Israel and and Gaza. There's wars in the Middle East. There's, you know, conflict. Well, just about everywhere that you look. And, And there's lots of stuff showing up on the internet, Christian radio, talk, 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 talk. Um, and there's a lot of end times confusion that's getting stirred up by this. If you want to have a simple biblical eschatology, sorry, theology of the end times, this verse will get you a long way. It's simply this. God's people will succeed and not fail in the commission that he's given us by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Whatever else is happening in the world, the Holy Spirit is going to be able to make the same declaration to the Father that Jesus did in John 17, I think verse 3, where Jesus says to the Father, he says this, Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you sent me to do. The Holy Spirit's going to be able to say the same thing. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to get this mission done through us, through his people, through the church the community of God, his gathered, chosen, assembled people filled with the Holy Spirit will triumph over all the powers of darkness. Not because we're so great, not because we're so strong, but because the Holy Spirit will be able to get the job done. So this issue of community really matters for us. God didn't intend us to be individual, independent Christians who just read our favorite blogs, uh, get our favorite podcasts in, No, but who actually live out the messiness 
of community life that Larry taught us about a few weeks ago that are actually living who Jesus is in our lives together. And there's a significant difference between the church and the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or your soccer club or whatever other group there may be that we can join and be a part of. And it's this. The church knows something that the world doesn't. It's this revelation Mm -hmm. that comes from the Father by the Holy Spirit of who the Son is. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the King of heaven who's come to earth. That's right. Now, going back then to this idea of church, we understand church not being a a building. Mm -hmm. We we talk in, in our culture hey, I'm going to church, we're going to a place, right? But as Christ is talking about the church, this ecclesia, this, this gathered, gathered ones together, he's talking about something so much more than a building, a structure. Good. When, we, when we understand, we talked about this last week, Christ Jesus is passionate for his church. He loves his church. He's not passionate for architecture and buildings. That's good. He's passionate for a people. He loves his people. He's coming back for his people. God says I, that my people will not be destroyed and done away with, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his people. He's not talking about this church structure prevailing against the gates of hell. Uh-huh. He's talking about a people. Well done. So whether we are 10,000 or 100 or we're 10 or we're just a few of us, that is God's church. As we are gathered together in his name to proclaim his gospel and live according to his ways, we are the church. We are living out the church. We can do that here on a Sunday morning. And although we gather together on a Sunday morning, our 90 minutes together is, is less than 1% of our week. So as we talk about the church, we're not, we're not the church 1% or less than 1% of the week. Right. We are the church every day. As we go to work, as we live our lives together, being together with one another in our small groups or eating dinner together or we're just hanging out, we are the church together. And it's not something that we just do on a Sunday morning. So although it's helpful as we invite or talk to our neighbors, hey, you want to come to church with me sometime, it's, it's an understanding that we're not asking them to just come to a place where we say, hey, look, we do life together and we are being the church. But that for us, it not only defines just the, the priority and the method of church, but it also helps us with the vision and values. Right. We've been talking That's this good. whole past series, this, these few months together about the vision of Mercy Hill Church and really kind of the vision of, of every church is to proclaim Jesus Christ and worship him. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing on the earth is, is God sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost really to, to fill the believers and to go forth. It's his proclamation this reality of who Jesus Christ is, his revelation is, as Jesus said, look, God is doing this. He's revealed to you whom I am. And God is still doing that today. Yes, That's the very thing as we talk about church. Uh, we get excited because there is a revelation of who Jesus Christ truly is. But it also doesn't set just the vision for us, but it sets the values. Good. So as we talk about worshiping Christ, we, we also talk about living in community being trained, making disciples. These are all the things that we see Jesus Christ doing through and through in the Gospels. Jesus Christ, as we studied the book of Luke for a few years together, we see Jesus Christ doing this day in and day out. He's living amongst his disciples. He's sharing God's word together with them. He's, He's on mission together with them. He's doing these very things as a church. We say, these are our priorities. Okay. Now, it's one thing to have a, have a vision of values, but then how do we go about as a church embodying or incarnating, if you will, living out these realities? I think I was, that's really helpful, John, because values are what is the phrase we use to talk about those things that we have to embody if our vision isn't going to get kind of subtly corrupted into something different because you can set some goals and and call it vision and make it all sound really good. But if the people we are aren't actually embodying who Jesus is along the way, then what we end up with is a different thing than we were talking about. Exactly. So for us, let's look at a few practical things for us as a church. First thing is this community. 
I've talked to a number of people who've said to me, man, when I walked into Mercy Hill Church, I was greeted, I was welcomed, people talked to me, and I've never really experienced that before at a church. And I think, amen. That is God's kindness, that we would be welcoming and receiving of, of, of anyone who walks through those doors. Whether you're rich or poor, white or black, it doesn't matter. We're, we're glad that you're here. We believe that God is, God is amongst his people. But then the next step for us is this, that it goes beyond nice welcome and, and kindness and, and share, talking a little bit on a Sunday morning, but it goes on to pursue community. We pursue relationships. So it, it, it starts with, a, hey, we're glad you're here, but it doesn't end there. The next step then is for us as a church to say, look, would you want to be a part of my life? You want to come over for dinner? You want to hang out? You want to get coffee? Can we talk some more? I'd like to learn more about you. There's an aspect of community that goes far beyond a Sunday morning. And if Sunday morning is the only place that we kind of get a, get a chance to talk to people, that's really a, a really shallow understanding of community. Community has got to be a place that is rich and it's deep and it's substantial. And we can't, it's hard to get that on just a typical Sunday morning. So the next step for us as a church then is to really dig in and say, let us be a part of one another's lives. I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to see the way that I, I live my life and I want to learn about you and we can grow together as God's people. Can I add on to that? Yeah, please do. A little bit, a couple of thoughts. I mean, there's, there's both kind of structural and organized ways to do that and there's very organic ways to do that. Uh, one more structured way is, as the story starts, is to make sure that you're not missing out on one of the microgroups that are forming for that and get involved with another pair of couples or singles and folks where we have groups that are, you know, six to eight people, I think, mm-hmm. uh, shaping yep. up for this. Don't miss the chance to get involved in that. But there's also very organic ways. And, you know, ironically, one of the great ways to get connected here is have some problem in your life. Because this is a very caring church. Uh, and if you have a major health crisis, suddenly you get very well known if you make your need known. Uh, because there are folks who are very wi- willing and eager to extend the love of God to your life. But if, if you're more concerned about keeping up an appearance where everything looks fine, and you don't want people to know that you have challenges or problems or issues, you'll find yourself surprisingly isolated. Because the very thing that you're afraid is going to drive people away is the exact thing that God uses to knit us together in biblical community. Are you hearing that? And secondly, it's not just having your own needs. It's reaching beyond your own needs to serve the needs of others. Mm -hmm. And so you heard during the announcements, Matt told us that there's a prayer meeting Tuesday night at Lynn's house for Liz Griffin. You may not know who Liz Griffin is. You may not know who Lynn Rhodes is. So Lynn, stand up, wave to us. Um, And so see Liz so you can find out how to get to her house on Tuesday just to come and and reach to the Lord for a dear sister among us who has cancer and is having an operation on Wednesday. Amen? Amen. And Joanna is organizing meals for Liz. Joanna, you all saw Joanna. She was leading us in worship, so you know who she is. And you can come and sign up to help bring a meal. Not because Liz won't otherwise have enough meals. Liz will probably, those boys are going to be eating well for the next couple months. But so that you are able to participate in the life of the community and in the bargain, get to know some tremendous people a little better. Amen. Then the the next thing for us then is, is, is God's word. And if you've been here any amount of time, you know that we give a, a large portion of our time together to God's Word because we believe this is so vital for us as God's people. That God's Word is really our bread and our water and the very thing that nourishes and strengthens and reveals Jesus Christ to us. And so we have an appreciation for God's Word as we gather together. But the next step then is that we become so saturated in God's Word that it becomes natural for us to begin to talk about it. Look, we talk about the things that are important to us. It doesn't take us very long as we, as maybe guys get together to talk that somehow football comes up or basketball comes up or, or weather or cars or something comes up, something like that. And we begin to talk about that and it's natural. It's not this awkward kind of stilted conversation about whether Derrick Rose is going to be the same 
this year as he was, you know, three years ago. And it's just a natural part of our lives because it's, to some degree, it's important to us. That's right. Now, with God's word, we want this God's word to occupy such a position in our lives that it becomes the thing that we talk about. It becomes a thing that's natural for us to discuss and dialogue with. That it's not this stilted, awkward thing that we talk about with other people who are believers. That it's not something that's like, oh, here comes the God talk, and now I've got a, what did I read last week? And, you know, just trying to come up with these things. But that we'd be so saturated in it. And that's why I'm excited about the story starting, is that we are going to be in God's Word together as a body, reading the same things, talking about the same things with our kids, with other believers, that this will give us an opportunity then to begin to discuss the very things that God is doing in our lives. So that we want this to become so natural. This is what Jesus Christ was doing. That's right. As we read through the Gospels, Jesus is on the road with his disciples talking about God. He's in the synagogue. He's on a hillside. He's in a boat. He's with, he's with the Pharisees. He's with the disciples. He's with the crowds. He's with one or two disciples. He's talking about plants, and he's talking about baking, and he's talking about nature and politics and government. He's always talking about what God is doing because it was so natural for him, him being God, it was natural to talk about God. But for us, for us as God's people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that filled Jesus, now resides in us as believers that this would become very natural for us to talk about and discuss all the time. All the time. Should not be an awkward thing, but that's the next step for us. So we're excited as we begin this series that we're going to dig in together, and this is going to give us an opportunity to begin to discuss God's Word with each other. John, you want to just talk a little bit about just mission in terms of just how that affects what we, what we think and what we do? Yeah, Mercy Hill has always shown a substantial generosity towards needs and opportunities that we're connected with overseas. You know, there has been such a consistency here for when a need or opportunity comes up with some of our partners overseas, an offering gets taken here. Somebody, there was, I remember one time I, when we were living in Africa that we just sent, I just sent some news of some opportunity among the churches we were with in Zambia. And Mercy, John, on behalf of Mercy Hill, actually competed with the other congregations here for the privilege of being first to give into that opportunity. And that was the roof project. If you remember back, the roof project that we took up, we were hoping to raise, John said, hey, can we raise somewhere around $1,000 to help this poor church put a roof on their building? They had built four walls and a foundation, but as the the fall rains were going to come, it was going to wash out the work that they had done, but they didn't have a roof. They didn't have any money for a roof. And so John called and said, would you be able to raise $1,000? I said, we can do that. And I think we raised somewhere three and a half, maybe. In, in fact, what you raised for the roof in that village helped build school classrooms for the, for the parent church where that we were part of in Lusaka in the capital. Yeah. And so that, it, was, yeah. it was just an outpouring. It was such a beautiful thing to see, such an outpouring of generosity from this church that would say, look, we've got some needs. Obviously, our carpeting is distressed and not because we want it that way but because it's pink and it's, it's old experience it's experience yes lots of experience on this carpeting it's come to church here longer than any of you that's right that's right same with the pews and so we love these things and there's it'd be very easy for us to say hey guys we need to take an offering for these things it's, you know we want to have a nice place to meet but the faith in this church is say look we we want to give and sow into places that we've never been in, in the, with people we've never met before because that is the heart of God for our brothers and sisters in the middle of Africa. And then this church opened its hearts and gave so generously that we were able to go above and beyond, not just the roof, like John said, many other things that, that was used the, uh, with the money. And so I just want to commend the work of God in this church. As we talk about these things and as we talk about next steps, there is no doubt in my mind there's no doubt in my mind as we go forward as a church, as God's people, and as needs come up in the future, as we talk about missions trips, that there will be a continued outpouring of generosity Amen. towards the poor, towards those who are broken, towards those who are lost. So, John, what about this idea, though, of, 
of this um, of this mission then for us? What's the next step for us? Well, it does seem like the the next step here is moving from giving into going. Amen. Right? And that's why through the summer we've been talking about a couple teams into Bolivia next year. You saw the video about Goa in India last week. And so it, it, it does shift the ante a bit because we pull out our checkbooks and we write a check and in some ways, great, hallelujah, God bless them, but my vacation time is still mine, right. yes? Uh, but it wasn't that way for Brian last year. Brian and Jane made a decision at the end of 2012 that Brian would come with John to help us teach in Zimbabwe last year, partway through 2013. And he committed two of his three weeks of vacation to make that trip. And that's a substantial case. So not only was he buying his plane ticket, but as a family, they said, not only are we not going to Disney World, because there went that check, uh, also, we don't have the time now to do some of the things that his coworkers would be doing, that other people in the church are doing, because they valued the priority of responding to the Holy Spirit, saying, it's time to go. And that's part of the challenge that we have here, as John has been articulating. It's not just for the dozens from this church who actually go on the trip, but for all of us together to pick up extra shifts, to help fundraise for that. You know, it's going when we, and it's a different level of giving. We separate ourselves from our family if the whole family doesn't go. We give vacation time. We give our hearts in a different way. I've resisted, just honestly here, this isn't a boast, this is a confession, understand the difference, uh, that over the years, one of the reasons I didn't want to have anything to do with Africa was I didn't want my heart to get pulled out uh, for people in the kinds of situations that we'd be living with and working with. It's very uncomfortable emotionally for me, and I knew that it would probably forever constrain the kinds of things that we would spend money on after that. But there's something about drawing close to the heart of God by being willing to go personally, to get dirty, to eat the food, to take the risks that are there with that and trust the Lord and go and embody Christ with our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. That is part of the next step. Amen. Good, John. Now, as we looked at these things, so far we've looked at who Christ is in this revelation of Jesus Christ. Then we're also talking about um, the, the church and being what defines us and how we shape our lives accordingly. John, talk to us a little bit about what, this, what the commission now is for yeah. us. You know, I think we've been touching on that along the way. Part of when we say, hey, Jesus is connecting things that we don't want to separate, uh, we've been connecting them as we've been going along because each time that we've started talking about who Jesus is or what the church should be, we keep leaning over into mission, leaning over into the commission, because this kingdom, he's the, Jesus is the king. Amen. And his rule is the very thing that we pray for. That's how he taught us to pray. Say, Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed. He says, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and those aren't two separate prayers. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done as two different ideas. It's two ways of repeating the same general idea through, uh, for emphasis. So when we pray, let your kingdom come, we're praying that God's will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we want that to happen in our lifetime. You know, we want to see his glory and his kingdom come in all of the earth, right here in the Munster-Hammond area. You know, and so the very things that this church is involved in, International Student Outreach, Share the Rock events, it makes a difference here as well as where we go out into other parts of the world. And the most important keys to this commission are our confession of who Christ is and being the people who live it out together. Amen. So let's look at a couple of things. What does this mean for us as God's family? What does this mean for us? How does this, how does this really look day to day? Um, as some of you know, Brian and Jane have been quite open with us about this, their struggle with infertility. And they're ner- I was going to say they're nervous as you start to yeah, sing. No. As you know, as Brian you know, and Jane. <laughs> we're going to say some really dirty secrets now. What, no. what does it mean for Brian and Jane? No. <laughs> that they lived through this situation together as a family. It wasn't just their thing that they were going through and 
and, and it was like, okay, that's their issue, and we'll kind of just do life side by side. No, they opened their lives to us, to all of us. They welcomed us in. They said, here's where we're at as a family. Here's the things that we are working through and praying, praying through. And we were able then as a church to stand with them in all of this, as God's people together. I, I did a funeral last um, Sunday afternoon for a lady that I never met. Um, I do not know if she was a believer or not. I, like I said, never met her. Not, I don't think they're part of a church. But as, as I was doing the funeral afterwards, talking with the husband, she was 63 years old, wasn't very old, had you know retirement and the whole thing ahead of them as, mm-hmm. a, as a couple. I looked at this guy and I thought, how in the world is he going to make it through the rest of his life alone? And then they had some family, but the family was lived far on the other part, you know, side of the United States. And I thought, thanks be to God for His people that can stand with us in all of our trials, in, in all of our pains, in all of our struggles that we're working through. That God's people can stand with us. And the beautiful picture, I think, with Brian and Jane is that it wasn't just this kind of one-sided conversation. They willingly opened their lives to us and said, "Here's where we are." And there's a beautiful picture, I think, of God's people surrounding them and loving them. The same way with Tim and Liz. Tim and Liz are are battling, um, Liz specifically, battling cancer. There's a prayer meeting for Liz this week. They had a little time to get away this weekend, and um, they're enjoying some time together without any of the kids, without any of the other stuff going on. And I thought, they have opened their lives to us. They've opened their lives to us. They've been upfront. They've been honest. They've been... And I think, what a beautiful picture of the way that the church has then surrounded Tim and Liz, have loved them, have prayed for them, stood with them. And it's not just in the hardships that we, as we talk, you know, these things are some of the things we struggle with, but these are the things as we live life together, these are inevitable things that happen to us all the time. And I think what a beautiful picture of God's church, of the gates of hell not prevailing against his people. Yes. That through these things that we can, we can stand together as, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, confessing his supremacy over all things, that even in the hardest moments of our life, we would be able to live before each other as Jesus Christ is the Lord. It's good. I mean, I know Brian and I at least have talked, and I know it's true for Jane as well, that what does it mean to worship Christ when you're not getting the thing that you want? Yeah, this process of trusting the Lord through the infertility has, it's not only that the community matters, but worshiping Christ in this brings a focus and clarity to our priorities and our values and hearts. And it keeps the thing that we want from becoming an idol and taking over too much. Uh, what should be a blessing from God can't become the God that we're seeking and serving and worshiping. You know, and just the way this church has handled the situation with infertility. Uh, we're particularly focusing on Brian and Jane and Tim and Liz, by the way, because they're your leaders. They are elders here in the church. And leadership is more about example than it is the things that guys like us say up front. Yeah. It's about us embodying the reality of these things. Yeah. So for Tim and Liz right now, as Liz is walking through the cancer and the health, uh, the health crisis on some level here, uh, there's a reality where this church is living faith for and with them by praying actively for Liz's healing, but also without any weirdness of saying to somebody, well, if you're not getting healed, somehow it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. Yeah, and things can get off kilter sometimes. And here at Mercy Hill, I'm so thankful that it's in a healthy balance where we do encourage each other's faith. We pray boldly because Jesus does heal people today. But we also trust him that if we're not seeing healing right now, Liz is not wrong or in somehow abdicating her faith by having a surgery or moving forward with the medical care. We gather around her and say, in the very thing you're walking through, we're walking through it together with you yeah. by faith. Yeah. Can, I, can I just take us into John 21 for a yeah, moment? Um, let me just put a, a specific application on this for, for all of us. Because you may not be going through cancer right now, You may not be struggling in certain other areas. But in the end of John's gospel, John 21, Jesus is particularly talking to Peter again. And remember, Peter's the one 
who said, Jesus, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, right on. It's God the Father who's made that known to you. Well, after Jesus has risen from the dead, you'll note, remember, that's after Peter has denied Jesus three times, saying, I don't even know the man. He has really blown it. His own bold confession, yes, Jesus, you're the Christ. Before Jesus was arrested, he was saying, I'll even die for you. When the rubber meets the road and there's a cost to it, he says, I don't even know the guy, right? It's devastating when we discover that there's aspects of our lives that don't measure up with who we say we believe Jesus really is. But Jesus has grace for that and for us. And Jesus regathers Peter and he says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. Even though I'm a screw up, you know I love you. And, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then in verse 18, he tells him this. And this is true for Peter, but it's not exclusive to Peter. It's true for us. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this, verse 19 says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. You know, of all of the promises that we get from God, this is a pretty uncomfortable one. But he's saying, you won't always get to do the things you want to do. There will be things that happen to you in your life that are the opposite of what you want. If you could choose, you'd do it differently, but you're going to be led in a direction that you don't want to go. And so what does Jesus have to say to Peter about that? He says, follow me. So what's Peter do? Next verse, verse 20. It tells us what Peter does. And I tell you, it is so like what we do. Peter turned and saw that, the, quote, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's the way John, who wrote the gospel here, talks about himself. He doesn't say, looked over at me. He's just referring to himself in the third person. So Jesus is walking with Peter, and John is kind of following along some distance behind on the beach. And Peter looks back over his shoulder, and he sees that John is back there. And he asks Jesus this, verse 21, When Peter saw that John was back there, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, hey, if I want him to have an easier life than you, what is that to you? You must follow me. And so often we're looking over our shoulder, seeing John back there. (laughs) We're looking over our shoulder at other disciples It's very easy to do, especially when we're living in community. And we see that there's some others who seem to have it easier and better for us. Why am I having to go through this hard thing that I don't want to have happening to me when she has it so much easier, when their family doesn't have these kind of problems? Jesus says this, as for you, follow me. I want to encourage us and challenge us. We can't play the comparison game. You know, sometimes it'll leave us thankful that we're not going through the hardship somebody else has. Sometimes it'll make, leave us in a self-pity situation, feeling sorry for ourselves. There's one focus that Jesus calls us to have. It's himself. Not to be looking over our shoulders at how that following is working out for somebody else, but to say, as for me and my house, we're gonna follow. Are you seeing that? Because as we encourage one another, We need to do it without the comparison game, without saying, well, it used to be easier. Why is it now getting harder for me? He's good. He loves us. He died for us. He's with us. Don't rule out the Holy Spirit in whatever situation you're facing or walking through, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. That's good, John. Now, that's that's a good place for us to, to launch out of because we want to also look at how does this affect our understanding of church, how does this then affect the way in which we live our lives? Now, when, I, when Brian and I went to visit John and Karen and the girls in Africa, uh, 
the, the friends at the place where we lived and the friends that we, we had, the, the housing was considered what they called high-density housing, meaning there was a million people all on top of each other, just literally there would be just houses all in a row and there was no yards, it was just house after house and there's within probably an acre of land there may be 500 people living. And, and then your house, which was probably the size of maybe a 400-square-foot home or something like that, there may be, you know, husband and wife and five or six kids, plus grandpa and grandma, plus someone from, a couple from church, plus some nieces and nephews, maybe a few cousins. I mean, it, this was the reality. So when, when they talk about living in community, right, it wasn't quite as far of a stretch for them as it is for <laughs> us sitting in what they would consider low-density housing. <laughs> However, John, as we think about just where we are at in America and where we, as we live in this area, how do we see the reality of this idea of, of community and keeping Christ central really taking place in our lives then? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously a multitude of examples or stories we could tell. Um, let me mention just one thing, particularly for the sake of time. Um, think bigger than yourself and your own family. Just think bigger than yourself and your own family. Think in the community of faith. Think beyond. It's love your neighbor. Who is that? Well, it may be your literal neighbor. It may be someone here in the church. It doesn't have to be a believer. But think bigger. One of the, one of the dear friends, one pastor that Brian and, and John know, who will be here at Mercy Hill in March. Amen. His name is Silent Guashavanu. And we want everybody in the church to be able to say Guashavanu very well by the time Silent gets here in March, okay? So we're going to work on that together. You guys help out the church. And, and so in Silent's house in the high-density area and their church, which is down the road, they don't have a good water supply. The city doesn't provide drinkable water. The taps are dry most of the year. And, and so there's just a real water crisis in their own house and neighborhood. And one of our connected churches in the UK did some fundraising and said, Silent, we can build a well at your house. Well, we knew from being with Silent, that's a very legitimate need for their family. When they don't have good drinking water, life's hard. And by the way, when we talk about a well, we think of just like us putting you know, pipes down and a well pump and all these kinds of things. At Simon's house, Simon's, Simon's house, there was literally just a big hole in the ground and they would drop a bucket down in there. To, it was, I don't know how deep, 40, 50 feet down. And they'd drop a bucket in there and pull this up, and that was their drinking water. And there could be stuff that fell in the hole. There could be a, who knows what could have. They put uh, a lid on it most of the time. They put a lid on it most of the time, but it wasn't this like sealed, nice lid. It was like a garbage can lid or something like that. So when we talk, this is a very, very big deal, what John's talking about here for, for silence. Um, and so, it's a, isn't it a wonderful thing to get a phone call and say, you have brothers and sisters in another part of the world who want to bless you and care for your family and make sure that you have safe drinking water at your home for your kids and the other families who stay with you, right? Wouldn't you love to get that call? You know, and so you can say, that's community. That's how the church across the world serves and cares for each other. But, but Silence answer shows that he's thinking bigger than himself. Because he said, no, we can't put that well at my house. If you want to put a well in, let's put it up where the church building is so that the whole neighborhood and community can all come and get water from it. And that well went in about a month ago. And their whole neighborhood and community now can come and get drinking water. And so that's an example of thinking beyond ourselves, not about personal blessing, but how can my life be part of what God's doing here, if what Jesus is really doing is building a community that transforms the world, how is my life cooperating and participating with what he's doing? If we keep asking that question, then we'll experience the real blessing of his presence and provision to do it. Amen. That's good, John. I hope this has been helpful for us this morning as we discuss these things. I hope it's been helpful for us. And even as we look through this, this whole summer, this series together, our, our desire, our, our hope as, 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 as the pastor and as elder, a team of elders here at this church, 
our hope is that we would move from being people who just think about church as a Sunday morning experience and something that we have to go do for an hour and a half, but it's a way in which we understand all of life, how it fits this, this profession of faith that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, the one who's come to redeem us, has, is, is, has implications for all that we do, the way in which we live our lives at home, whether, how we live our lives together as community, how we interact with people at work and in our neighborhoods and everywhere else, that this has implications for everything that we are. Yes. And so we're going to close this morning with an opportunity to take communion. And so if the, uh, if the ushers could just distribute the elements together, we take communion every single week. And as we do something every single week, there's the potential for us to think, oh, okay, we're just going to go through communion again because that's what we do every Sunday morning. I want us to be reminded of this. We take communion remembering who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus Christ came and died. He came and died for our sins as a perfect substitute and sacrifice for us. And as we come to Jesus Christ and believe in his sacrifice for us and ask him to forgive us of our sins, he says that we are clothed with the righteousness from God that is not our own, but is from Jesus Christ himself. And so... Communion for us is an opportunity to remember, but it's an also an opportunity for us to participate. Yes. As we take the cup and as we take the bread, we participate in the Lord's death until he comes back. It's a way in which we remember and we remind ourselves and declare to one another that, hey, this is what is a reality for us as God's people. And it's a way that we proclaim to one another that we believe that Jesus Christ has died and has, has been uh, raised from the dead. And, and so, go ahead, John. And so, these elements represent these three critical things we've been talking about. Worshiping Christ, who he is, died and risen again. It represents community because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that the bread that we eat and the cup that we drink are a participation in the body and blood Lord Jesus, together as a community. And as John said, it's the proclamation. Our mission is a proclamation that Jesus has died and has risen and is coming again. He is the Lord. So all three are embodied here in the bread and the cup. Amen, that's good. So we're going to take us a few moments, and this would be a good opportunity for us as the, the elements are being passed around to just take some time with the Lord. And take some time to ask Jesus. the Lord... If he, would be calling, if he would be calling us to move beyond the things that we've just kind of considered church and to what is it, God, that you are calling me to now? What are the things that you are challenging me with? And how do I align myself with this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Amen. And then we'll all take the elements together. Amen. Jesus, we do proclaim that you are... Lord, that you're the Christ, the King, the Son of the living God. Jesus, that is not something we came up with ourselves. Thank you for revealing it to us. Lord, humbly, God, we ask that our lives would be so shaped by this revelation, by the reality of your Holy Spirit living in us, God, that the very things we hold on to for self-protection Lord, would no longer dictate and drive our lives. Lord, instead, Lord, we're praying that our worship of you, our lives together, and our commitment to your commission, Lord, would be the very characteristics that people who know us would come to know you through how we embody these very realities. Father, I pray for anyone who's here today who's gotten a bit caught in the comparison game of other people seeming to have it easier, other people seeming to have more friends or fit in better or an easier life. Lord, I pray for grace right now to follow you. Lord, where we have even pulled back from our obedience and our confession because we've been afraid of the cost, what it might cost us relationally, what it might cost us financially, what it might cost us recreationally. Lord, we surrender it to you again in your precious and perfect name. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, 
which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the blood of my covenant, which has been poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you for the gift of life, for the gift of community. God, that you bring us outside of the family, you bring us in. God, you call us your own, you fill us with your Holy Spirit, and God, you bless us with the blessing of of your presence and of your relationship. So God, we commit all these things to you in your holy name we pray, amen. All right, I hope you guys had fun this morning. It was fun for me, fun for John. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.